Draw near, O nations, to hear and give attention, O peoples. Let the earth hear and all that fills it, the world and all that comes from it. For the Lord is enraged against all the nations and furious against all their host. He has devoted them to destruction, has given them over for slaughter. Their slain shall be cast out and the stench of their corpses shall rise. The mountains shall flow with their blood. All the host of heaven shall rot away, and the skies roll up like a scroll. All their hosts shall fall as leaves fall from the vine, like leaves falling from the fig tree. For the Lord has a day of vengeance, a year of recompense for the cause of Zion. And the streams of Edom shall be turned into pitch, and her soil into sulfur. Her land shall become burning pitch. Night and day it shall not be quenched. Its smoke shall go up forever. From generation to generation it shall lie waste. None shall pass through it forever and ever. But the hawk and the porcupine shall possess it. The owl and the raven shall dwell in it. He shall stretch the line of confusion over it and the plumb line of emptiness. Its nobles, there is no one there to call it a kingdom. And all its princes shall be nothing. Seek and read from the book of the Lord. Not one of these shall be missing. None shall be without her mate. For the mouth of the Lord has commanded and his spirit has gathered them. He has cast the lot for them. His hand has portioned it out to them with the line. They shall possess it forever. From generation to generation, they shall dwell in it. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. And the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there. And it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there. But the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy. And sorrow and um, singing shall flee and sighing shall fly away. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever.
Well, if you're just joining us, we're going through the book of Isaiah. Uh, we're going through it all this fall and into the winter. It is a gigantic book, 66 chapters. But uh, as I think about what's going on in our nation and as what we're processing, I don't think there is a more appropriate book right now, especially these, these chapters, 34 and 35. It lets us know that we are not a part of the first political upheaval. There's been political upheaval in the past. It's happened through years and years and years of history. Here we see a people that are also in political turmoil. A people in existential crisis. A people that are wondering, where is God? Here is a nation that has been in prosperity for hundreds of years, the nation of Judah. And now there is a chance for them to come to ruin, for their nation to collapse. They are scared. They are freaked. And as the armies of Assyria are building throughout, as we've gone through Isaiah, through chapter and chapter, Assyria is building in power over and over and over again. The message is also building as Assyria's armies are building. And the message from God is this, trust in me. Trust me. Trust me in the short term, Judah. I will deliver you from Assyria. And God shows examples, chapters we've gone earlier, that God will save them as Assyria besieges the city of Jerusalem that he will salvage Jerusalem from this army that goes against them. In the short term, I will deliver you. But just before this chapter, we realize they don't believe it. Instead, Judah turns to Egypt, the nation of Egypt, and says, Egypt, help us, save us from Assyria. And instead of turning from God, they turn to chariots, to Egypt for salvation. And now God speaks through Isaiah in an oracle in chapters 34 and 35. And he says, I will not just be with you in the short term. I will be with you in the long term, into eternity. And he contrasts what eternity will look like. First in 34, the judgment of God in eternity. And in 35, the redemption of God in eternity. And through this oracle as given to Isaiah, the Lord says, this is not just for you, Judah, but it is for everyone. What does an existential crisis do? Other than using a big word like existential. Well, it really is saying this, that the method that we are living by or the way that we think the world operates we need to reevaluate. We need to think differently. And for Judah, they're realizing the strategy of going to the nations for help is not working. An existential crisis might be go, guess what? Political campaigns and presidents, they're not going to create utopia. My yoga class is not going to reverse my aging. Removing myself from stressful situations 
guess what? It, it doesn't always solve my anger problem or my anxiety. I think this way is going to work, but it's not. The problem is greater than I realize. The solution is more than a nation to save us or a president to redeem us. And here, Isaiah is revealing that to us in the long term. And in chapter 34, he says, here is a people that have not dealt with their existential crisis and turned to me. And in 35, he says, here is a people that have. What kingdom do you fall into? Which way do you break? Which way do you fall? 34? Or 35? Which place do you go to? Let's find out, shall we? Chapter 34 here. Look at that together. And what is happening in chapter 34 is this. We have a nations are gathered together and they are squaring off against God. They are squaring off against God. Sorry, I lost my text for a second. There it is. Okay. Here are the nations gathering and squaring off against God. And the question is, who is stronger? Who will win when God squares off against the nations? And here it says in chapter 34, it says, Draw near, O nations, to hear and give attention, O peoples. Let the earth hear and all that fills it, the world and all that comes from it. For the Lord is enraged against all the nations and furious against all their host. He has devoted them to destruction, has given them over for slaughter. See, the nations are being exposed in chapter 34. As the battle is between God and the nations, it's being found out that God is the one that is the champion. That he is the one that finds them out. He is the one that judges them. Their magnificence, it fades away. It's such a great image here in verse 4. All the hosts of heaven shall rot away, and the skies roll up like a scroll. All their hosts shall fall as leaves fall from the vine, like leaves falling from the fig tree. Their magnificence is just going away. Their opulence, their creation, it might even go to the the creation of the world, that even that is fading. As much as they've created here, it will all pass away. And then who is left? Verse 12. It's nobles. There is no one there to call it a kingdom. And all its princes shall be nothing. And what is left in this kingdom? That's really interesting words here. But the hawk and the porcupine shall possess it. The owl and the raven shall dwell in it. What it's saying here, and Isaiah is trying to communicate is that all is left is scavengers. It has become desolate. It has become nothing because of God's judgment upon us. 
I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of cities that have been um, desolate. One that's very interesting is the ancient city of Apollonia. It's uh, a city that is on the Mediterranean uh, in current day Albania. It was a Greek city uh, that was very powerful in the 6th century BC and also was powerful through trading routes of the Roman Empire all the way to the 6th century. But then an earthquake came and the trade routes moved and this city that used to have hundreds of thousands of people has nothing. Now you see the pictures now, actually it wasn't, the city wasn't found again until the 19th century and excavators came and archaeologists came to take a look at this. But there are just towers and, and buildings and palaces that all have been abandoned and they were so opulent. They had beautiful mosaics and pretty things all over it, but now it is just desolate and there's pictures of foxes and pictures of birds that rest upon these buildings that no one occupies anymore. This is the picture that Isaiah is giving. You trust in nations, you trust in things that you think will last forever. No, they will become desolate. They will fall. You cannot build your trust upon them because they will become nothing. Then he talks about Edom quite a bit in this chapter. In verse 9 he says, And the streams of Edom shall be turned into pitch and her soul um, and her soil into sulfur. See, Edom represents the nations. Why? Because Edom was the first nation to stand in the way of Israel and the Hebrews as they tried to come back into the land as they were leaving the desert in the wilderness and to claim Israel. Edom was the nation that said, no, you cannot pass, even though Israel said, we'll pay you so we can pass. And they said, no, you may not. And here, Edom represents the nations that stand in the way of God's plan for salvation. See, Israel is representative of God's plan for salvation. It doesn't mean that all the people of Israel will be saved, but it does mean that God used Israel to show his salvation to the people that through the nation of Israel would come the Messiah, Jesus Christ. In any way that stands in the way of this salvation, any nation, any people, any person will be desolate and will become nothing. Edom stood in the way of Israel and now they have become desolate and nothing. Oh, what an encouraging sermon, Dan. Thanks for giving me Isaiah chapter 34. And what is this church? Fire and brimstone church? No, I'd like to be a church that's faithful to the scriptures. And this is what the scriptures say. I do wonder sometimes, you've maybe been part of churches where you've done the Lord's Prayer every single week. And maybe it just becomes rote for you. Maybe it was rote this morning. But what are you praying when you say, your kingdom come? What do you think you're saying? You're saying, God, we want you to reign in this earth. Does that mean that God's just going to let sin and the problems of this world continue to exist, that's not a very powerful king, is it? 
No, when we say, God, your kingdom come, we are also saying, God, your kingdom will come and destroy everything that is contrary to you. That is his judgment. That is his justice. Francis Schaeffer, the famous 20th century thinker and theologian who brought people that doubted God throughout the world would come to where he was in Switzerland at Labrie and learn from him. And one person asked him one time, he said, if you had just one hour with someone that wasn't a Christian, what would you talk about? And Schaefer said this, for 50 minutes of that hour-long conversation, I would talk about God's judgment. And then for 10 minutes, I would talk about his love and his grace. And the person said, what? Why would you do that? And Francis Schaefer responded, see, without understanding judgment, they don't appreciate salvation. I hope that this election has shown you that our humanity needs salvation. I hope it's shown you that. Not talking about the candidate that won, I'm not saying that. But the response, the ugliness. I never thought I would see the day where Christians, evangelical Christians, would rationalize sexual talk from a candidate. To say, my friends, Christian friends, it's just locker room talk. I never thought I would see the day where Christians would rationalize that. I never thought I would see the day where my fun liberal friends that I went to college with, who were on the other side of the aisle of me at times, that would say to me on Facebook posts or phone calls, love wins. Then on Facebook, they're dropping F-bombs. And they are mad and they are upset and they are ready to box whoever stands in their way. I don't care if it's on the left. I don't care if it's on the right. Our solutions to salvation as a people, are bankrupt. Have we not seen that through history? Through communist empires, through Nazi empires, who said, we have solutions for the world. What have they done in their seeking solutions? They have killed millions of people. Maybe you're going through an existential crisis. I don't know. Maybe your friends are. But I sure hope that this election and the result on Tuesday night does not lead us to a place that says, this person will save us. This law will redeem us. Hugging it out will be fine. No, instead, it will lead us to the place that says, we are sinners that deserve God's righteous punishment. We deserve his judgment upon us. Because as good as we look, as much as we try to solve it ourselves, we have botched it up royally.
You see, chapter 34 should teach us we should not fear the powers of nations and rulers. No, who we should fear is God. He will come. There will be a day where his kingdom will reign. And everything that is not part of his kingdom will be destroyed and desolate and gone. That's the greater existential crisis for you this morning. I hope you see that one and not the result of Tuesday night. So if God is not this world, is what we should fear, then God, not this world, is where we should hope. And that's the good news. Let's look at chapter 35, shall we? He gives us these beautiful images of hope. A desert that will be made new. The crocus will blossom. Crocus is a spring plant in that part of the world. And here, after a winter and the cold, here comes new creation and a beautiful thing. And even beautiful places like Lebanon and Carmel and Sharon, they will even glory at this new garden and this new creation. They will rejoice in it. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. You see, humanity turned the perfect garden into a desert. And God returned that desert back to the garden. That is what we rejoice in. That's what we magnify. And that's what we say, you be all glory and power. And maybe you have seen that in your own life. You have been a desert in your own life. It has been atrocious. And God has redeemed you and saved you, and turned you. And is that turning in that new garden in your life, and that new flower that blossoms, that you say, all glory and praise and majesty be to our God that saves, that takes desolate places, takes deserts, and makes them beautiful. That is the first step, magnifying in what God has done. The next image here is in verse 3. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Here is a picture of wearied people, maybe in battle, that have been beaten down. God is saying, I will make amends. I will save you. Those, the injustice that's been brought against you, I will bring justice. Do not be anxious. Be strong in what I can do because this is what I'm creating. He says, I have reached down and I have saved you. I have come to you and I have delivered you. This is a great passage for what we're dealing with in our nation and to our friends, our neighbors, those that are scared right now. I hope we don't belittle those that are scared and fearful. 
I hope we don't just say, oh, just get over it. There are people that fear serious discrimination of what has happened. Persecution. Fear of deportation. My friend in Colorado, who has two adopted African-American children, just this week had his house graffitied and vandalized with racist epitaphs after the election. This is serious stuff. It's not just from the left to right. People that support the president-elect have been beaten and hurt. Right here in Appleton, Wisconsin, we have international students at Lawrence University that are freaked out, that are scared because of what's going on in Appleton. There's, I guess, a guy that may have been some kind of KKK outfit at the Lawrence University around Lawrence. These students are freaked out. Our solution shouldn't be, oh, it's not going to be that bad. It's going to be okay. He's not going to do anything crazy. Is that the hope we give people that are scared and freaked out? No, I hope as Christians, the hope that we give is, oh, Donald Trump is not that bad. No, the real hope is, guess what? We believe in a hope to come. We believe in a God that will bring justice that will bring those that are persecuted and help them and save them. We believe in that kind of God. That is our hope as Christians. Hope in the eternal, not in the short term. The next image he gives, he says, "...and the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped." Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. What a great image, especially for Isaiah, who throughout all Isaiah 6 and all these other chapters has been saying, you Judah have been blind. You cannot hear. And here he says, you can now see. Your ears are unstopped and you can hear. You can finally see who God really is. This is good news for you. When John the Baptist in the New Testament was in prison and disciples were coming to him while he was in jail, they then went to Jesus and asked his disciples and Jesus, they said, are you, John the Baptist is wondering, is wanting to know, are you the one for salvation, Jesus? And you know how Jesus responded? He responded with this passage. He says, The blind shall receive sight. The lame will walk. The deaf will hear. That's all he had to say, isn't it? Jesus actually did those things, but he was communicating a greater message. Hope is here. The king has arrived. He is remaking this world. It is already here, but it will finally come in fruition when I come again. Jesus saying, I am the one that is salvation. I am the hope. I am the one that is making all things new. 
The last image I'll hit is this one. It is an image of a pilgrim journey. And he says, And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there. But the redeemed shall walk there. What is this idea of the redeemed? The redeemed is that those that have a debt on their head, those that have been in bondage, those that are servants or slaves, they have been bought by God. They have been saved. They have been freed. And in their freedom, nothing shall freak them out. Nothing should worry them on their journey because Those ravenous beasts are gone. They walk on a highway that even though they might not fully understand, even though they are fools, they are the redeemed and they are part of the coattails of God. And they are walking into his kingdom that will come. Nothing shall sway them. Even though it's difficult and hard, they are with him. I promise I'll, I'll, I'll be done with politics after this week, right? We'll, we'll be done, you know? I don't like to talk about it often. And that's not what we're about. But I think what's happened this week, it needs to be addressed. And it also is kind of fun for me because I used to be in politics and I'm a political junkie, as I mentioned last week. And there was something about being in political campaigns. This is what it was about, being campaigns. That if you are part of a campaign, that you know if you won, you would be in a high position. So campaign manager for one. And all those dreams of glory came, right? If I'm the campaign manager of a winning campaign, I'll become the chief of staff at 23 years of age. That's unheard of. That would be crazy. I'll put it all on the line to be a part of a candidate that could possibly win. And I've been intrigued by that this week. People that uh, are kind of the, on the outskirts of, of political stuff that are, don't have huge political fortunes, that went on CNN and Fox News and all those places and supported the president-elect. They faced scrutiny and they got persecuted. It was crazy the kind of stuff that they faced. And they, I am sure that some of these guys had no, and ladies had no idea that this guy was going to win. But now he has. And now these political outsiders are on the inside. Now these people that had no political future could become the chief of staff or a cabinet position or secretary of state. They will get amazing positions of power. See, they join the coattails of someone and they will receive great glory for it. How much greater for us. How much greater for us that if we attach ourselves to the King of Kings, to Jesus Christ himself, 
Even though we face persecution, even though people laugh at us and say, how dare you follow such a thing and believe such a thing? You know, there will come a day that we will be sons and daughters of the king and will rejoice in the heavenly places that are greater than anything that any White House position could give. That is the glory of God. That is what they are singing about. And the rants of the Lord shall return and come to Zion. This is a picture of heaven with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy. And sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Who are you working for? Who is your king? Where is your hope? Which way do you break? Please hear this. God is coming to us. He has come to us through Jesus. He is saying, I will open your eyes. I will take away the plugging in your ears. I will make you walk. I have come to you. Hear me. Cling to me. Grab onto my coattails. Because if you do, you will be with me forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an image or images you have given us. God, I pray through the crisis that maybe we're going through that we would see the larger crisis, the one to come, a final judgment, and then a kingdom that will last forever. We pray that we would be a people that would follow you along your highway into eternity. In your son's name we pray, amen.